It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, hello. Good morning, beautiful people. It's Friday, which makes you all the more beautiful, at least in my opinion. Welcome to Outkick the Morning. I am Charlie Arnold. Uh, This weekend, I'm actually really pumped for several reasons, as I'm sure many of you are as well. One, we get the divisional round of the playoffs. Some great games in store for us. Uh, Myself, I am highly looking forward to the Chiefs taking on the Bills. I'm also highly looking forward to the Bucs and the Lions game. So, my eyes are going to be on those two games. But also, let's not forget, there are other major sporting events going on outside of the NFL. Because this weekend, north of the border, in Toronto, UFC 297, where... The middleweight championship is on the line. Sean Strickland, the champion, taking on Dracus Duplessis, which, by the way, let's not forget their scuffle that they had in the audience at a UFC fight recently. So there's a lot of tension here, a lot of emotions surrounding this. Sean Strickland, as we know, one of the most authentic guys in all of sports, he never is unafraid to speak his mind. He went on a tirade of many different things uh, in his press conference this week, but none so much as when a reporter asked him a very poignant question about his earlier remarks. And now people are saying maybe Sean Strickland has gone too far, but let's not decide right now. Let's let you take a listen first. Uh, we've got a pretty supportive gay and lesbian yeah. community in this city. I did want to ask you about something you wrote a couple of years ago. You said, if I had a gay son, I would think I'd... Oh, look, another, another... I'm saying to you, the swamp, you guys, the swamp. You've become a champion, you've become a star, and, and someone... Let me ask you something. Are you, are you, are you gay? No, are you, are you, let me know, are you gay? Can I hear, can I get an answer? Well, no, I'm asking, I'm, this is a part of the, are you, are you a gay man? I'm an ally of the community. Okay. If you had a son and he was like, you know, you had a son, he was gay, you'd be like, oh, man, you don't you don't want a grandkid? No problem with it. Oh, man. Well, you, dude, you're a weak man, dude. You're like, you're part of the problem. You elected Justin Trudeau. Like, would you when he sees the bank accounts, like, you're just pathetic. And and the fact that the fact that you have no backbone and and has he shut down your country and seized bank accounts, you ask me some stupid like that, go yourself. Move the Man, like that doesn't really coward. answer the question, but I did want to ask also things you said about the trans community. You said uh, this past October when they announced the Bud Light sponsorship that you'd go so hard on Bud Light in your next fight, they'll have to accept me or denounce me when uh, when they know what and will know what they stand for. Are you this guy's like, hey, this Canadian's not that Canadian. Are you still going to use your fight time to kind of speak on that? Here's the thing about Bud Light. Here's the thing about Bud Light. Ten years ago, to be trans was a what a mental illness and now all of a sudden people like you have weaseled your way in the world you are you are an infection you are the definition of weakness everything that is wrong with the world is because of you and the best thing is is the world's not buying it the world's not buying your bullshit your peddling the world is not saying you know what you're right Chicks have dicks. The world's not saying that. The world's saying, no, there are two genders. I don't want my kids being taught about, 
you know, who they could f- in school. I don't want my kids being taught about, you know, their sexual preference. Like, dude, this guy is the f- enemy. Uh, you want to look at the f- enemy to our world? It's that mother f- right there. And now here to help me react, my good buddy, Dave Ross. Dave, whoa. Fireworks from Sean Strickland. Not that any of us are surprised, but what was your reaction? And like, even for a second in your mind, did you think he might have gone just a little too far? Well, Charlie, I'm so glad you brought it up that Sean, like we know Sean Strickland. In the MMA community, you know who Sean Strickland is. So my question is, why would you ask the question to Sean Strickland on Fight (laughs) Week? I mean, if you're asking this of Sean Strickland, get ready for an honest answer. And this is the problem I have in general. Charlie, you and I have been in a million locker rooms. You've covered MMA. You know what this sport is like. They're going to be authentic. They're not going to be cookie cutter. They're not going to be watered down. They're going to tell you exactly who they are and what they believe. And if you don't like it, they don't care. So like this placating to Sean Strickland of trying to get him to say what you want him to say is fool's gold. Why would you ask that question in that setting? If you want to have a sit down with Sean Strickland about his politics, about his worldview, about life in general, go ahead. But when he's up there, it's like before Super Bowl asking Tom Brady who he's going to vote for. It's irrelevant. Why are you asking these questions, general media? Again, I've done a million of these, as have you. That would be the last question I would ever yeah. think to ask of, a, of an athlete getting ready to do what they do. Well, especially in UFC. I mean, we have seen of all the different leagues and organizations that exist, UFC fighters are not held to the same standards as no. any other group of athletes. I mean, they have full reign to say exactly what they want to say because Dana White and everybody else, they allow it. They actually embrace of being who you are, which... I got to say, I mean, as a UFC reporter, I love because it adds to the excitement of what can I expect each and every day. Um, But just in terms of how the Levitard show reacted, (laughs) it's just like, listen, there is a right to have your own opinion. Just because someone doesn't agree with how you want to live your life or you think this country should be run doesn't make it wrong. Well, that's today's media, Charlie, right? Let me be offended for you. Let me tell you why you should be offended. Okay, so that we got to come to the defense of all those that weren't outraged and that that don't mind that Sean Strickland might have a different viewpoint than you do. So like that's the comical part to me. I just go, oh my goodness, like if we could just like if it wasn't brought up every other second about what somebody says, nobody be offended. We all move on with our day. But we have to tell you why you should be offended by Sean Strickland, a UFC fighter, giving his his worldview on a question he mm-hmm. was asked. Look, if he volunteered this information out of the blue, that's one thing. But when you ask him a specific it's, it's question. It's instigating. That's exactly what it is. You're poking the bear and the bear in this case is going to punch back. And so good for Sean Strickland for speaking his mind. Doesn't mean I have to agree with everything he said. It's for mm-hmm. something about women's MMA. I love women's MMA. I absolutely enjoy it. Sean Strickland doesn't like it. Doesn't mean I have to go out there on X and tell you why you should be offended by why Sean Strickland doesn't like women's fighting. Like that's for Sean Strickland and it's for me and it's for you. It doesn't have to be for everybody. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting because at UFC 297, directly before the middleweight championship yes. fight featuring Strickland and his opponent, Drakus Duplessis, is Raquel Pennington and Myra Buena Silva. Buena Silva. So uh, I have to wonder if they're going to have something to say to Strickland as they're crossing <laughs> paths, you know, behind the scenes at the, you know, arena in Toronto, oh. maybe. 
And they and probably they will. And I, I think that Rocky Pennington obviously said something about Sean. And 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 Sean's like Sean knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. And so he's a big boy. And, and if, if Rocky Pennington or Mario Bena Silva want to have words with Sean, I'm sure he'd be open to that conversation. He would certainly it's, be. Yeah. And so like that's that's fine. Like, and, and I'm sure again, Dana White, you know, this had said famously. I'll never have women's MMA in the UFC. And then somebody named Ronda Rousey came along and changed his whole viewpoint on women's MMA. Right. So it all, it all changes in the eye of the beholder. And again, I lost my voice one time at UFC 196 rooting for a woman to choke out another woman when uh, Misha Tate won the belt from, from Holly mm -hmm. Holm that night. So I went, you know, I have, to, I enjoy it. I like it. It's just not for everybody. Uh, yeah, and that women's fight, just FYI for anyone who's not aware, is for the Bantamweight Championship. So mm -hmm. uh, let's also look at the main event at UFC 297. Uh, I just mentioned Strickland, Duplessis. They've they've had some pretty oh. high tensions leading up to this. Now, I did just see a video of them, you know, kind of hugging, shaking it out. They crossed paths, like, I don't know if it was at the hotel mm -hmm. or where. And Strickland posted to his Instagram, listen, Make no mistake, this is still going to be a fight. We are trying. We are going to try to end each other. Does he actually hate Duplessis? No, but you know, <laughs> may the best man win, right? So, ultimately, do you think that Strickland's aggression, all of the work he's been putting in, he looks fantastic. You think it's going to pay off for him in the end? Is he going to retain? Uh, I here, here's what I love about this fight, Charlie. And again, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, at least in Strickland's mind, he's the type of guy to me that seems like he can get worked up in the moment, whether it's at a press conference or whatever. And then when the fight starts, he's not thinking about what was happening in the press conference. He's not thinking about what Duplessis said about him. And, you know, I think Strickland had said, if he says that again about my childhood, I'm going to stab him. Uh, <laughs> I don't think any of those things are really going to happen. Thank goodness. Those are just words, mean words. But I think in the fight itself, where I favor Sean Strickland is cardio. So, like, again, all those things at the press conference, I don't care about them. I care about breaking down the fight and why I think X fighter is going to win. And I do think Sean's going to win because if he can survive Duplessis in the first five, maybe seven and a half, ten minutes, then I think Duplessis, we've seen the cardio be, be an issue for him in the past. Now, what is interesting is Driscus apparently had – uh, nasal passage surgery a while back before the Robert Whitaker fight. And maybe that was all that was ailing him because he looked like he had great cardio against Robert when he took Rob out. So maybe that's changed. But I do believe it's it's bigger than just uh, the surgery for his nose. And if there's anybody you do not want to be in a cardio battle with, it is Sean Strickland. So mm -hmm. we saw all the mean words with Israel Asanya before their fight. And he almost took Izzy out in the very first round. And then, as I said, kind of walked the dog for the next 20 minutes and just carried uh, Israel Adesanya to an easy victory. Could he do the same thing against Driscus? Yeah, I could see it if he survives early and turning this fight late. But I think it's Strickland either getting a stoppage late or winning a, a decision in Toronto's. So, Charlie, for me, it's and still Saturday night at UFC 297. I, I I agree with you. I think, uh, like you said, I think Strickland is going to have enough uh, of an ability to keep his emotions in check. Yeah. And once that bell rings, I think it's all business. I think, like you said, his cardio is fantastic. And uh, I'm just looking forward to a good fight. I, I just want to see a banger of a fight in Toronto, which obviously we know. Strickland said it from the very get. He was not excited to have his fight in Canada. No. Because as a very much like America first guy, you know, he wants to fight in the good old United States of America, probably in Vegas, uh, if he had it his way, because that's where he lives these days. So um, we're looking forward to that. 
You, my friend, I'm yeah. sorry. I got to do oh, it no. to you. No. This weekend, we're going to also be looking forward to some pretty fantastic football games. But uh-huh. your Cowboys not going to be involved because, well, they suck. I, I was told by the executive producer, Tim McHugh, there'd be no cowboy talk in the segment, Charlie. So I got to get my agent on the phone on this one. All right, look, I know. here's the deal, Charlie. And you know this, and I say this to you before. When the Cowboys lose, America loses. America lost last week when the Green Bay Packers went in there and slapped around my boys uh, for 60 minutes. I'm actually in the minority that I'm okay with the Cowboys bringing back Big Mike, as I call him. Mike I was going to say he's safe. He's to safe everyone's dismay. He's, he's safe for now. But, Charlie, you know how hard it is to win in any sport, to win 12 games three years in a row and two division titles in that stead. I'd say, you know, we all say Mike Tomlin's a great coach. We all say Sean Payton's a great coach. If you look at Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, and Mike McCarthy and put all their resumes together, a blind resume of those three, including the postseason, you would find they're almost the three of them looking into a mirror. They're all the same guy. But two guys are great and one guy's trash, right? That's because when you're the coach of America's team, if you don't win it every year or win it since 1995, then you must be trash. The quarterback can't be trash. The coach can't be trash. The defense can't be trash. And yet they win 12 games every single year. It's not trash because it's not true. These are narratives that we love to But doesn't it ultimately matter what you're – you're capable of producing in the regular season versus the postseason. I think that's kind of the big question mark is how can you be so good during the regular season? But once the playoffs begin, you just crumble. Yeah, I will say this. Like they did win a playoff game last year. They retired Tom Brady. People forget that in Tampa last year. Oh, last that's game, right. Brady, I was there. Right. So I like, forgot they, I was there, but I was. Yeah, they retired the GOAT last year, the greatest of all time. So it hasn't been all bad. But I will say this look. A bitter disappointment. They should not, you shouldn't have lost to the Packers, and you certainly should not have gotten destroyed by a young Green Bay Packer team. That was embarrassing. But I actually do believe on merit, Charlie. I think he deserves a shot to come back and, and one last shot at redemption. Mm-hmm. Look, if it doesn't change this time next year, and you and I are having this exact same conversation, it's probably you're ready a, to say goodbye. To, absolutely. But I, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt, Charlie. You know me. I'm loyal. And I'm going to say you are loyal. You are loyal. That's one of your best qualities. Okay. So since you're not able to watch your Cowboys, who are you rooting for this weekend? And then pushing through to the, you know, final game of the season, which of course is the Super Bowl. Well, you and I, when we were in DC together, you know, Mike Shanahan was the head coach way back when, and Kyle was there and, you know, young Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, all those young guns on that mm-hmm. staff at the time that we didn't even really pay a whole lot of attention, attention to, to at, Redskins. Yeah. at all at Redskins Park. They were just like peons running around with dad. <laughs> I, I like Kyle. But I, I have a, a proclivity to hate the 49ers just as a Cowboy fan, right? So I'm rooting. This is weird. I'm actually rooting for the Packers, even though they, they dismantled my Cowboys last week. The problem is the youth that I thought would show up last week in Dallas might show up in San Francisco this week because not only are they happy to be there, but then happy to win a playoff game. Like, they're done. Like, they've already accomplished everything they need to accomplish I hope they can go in with the same brazen attitude they did last week in San Fran. So I'm rooting for Green Bay, but my head would say that San Fran moves on. And I'll also say this about the Ravens. They played the Texans the very first week of the year this year before we knew what C.J. Stroud would be, Mm -hmm. D'Amico Ryans, and that old team down there in Houston. I'd be a little bit nervy if I'm Baltimore here because talk about, like the Packers, a team with nothing to lose. Houston is greatly overachieved. Now, now they go to the number one seed. They've had a week off. 
watch out. That game might be more competitive Ooh. than people think. Oh, I like that. I like that as a one to watch. That'll be very yeah. interesting. Uh, Dave, you're great. Thank you so I much. I miss you, Charlie. I miss you too. We'll see you soon. You got it. So obviously we're going to have some breakdown of UFC 297 next week on the show. I'm super excited. I'm not going to lie. I am pulling for Sean Strickland. 100% I want to see Strickland retain. But also... Let's touch upon the last subject that I got into it with Dave. The Texans, in his opinion, a dark horse in the playoffs. And, and maybe not even so much as a dark horse, because, of course, they do have Rookie of the Year in C.J. Stroud as quarterback. But we're not going to have to wait long to find out what, what future holds for them, whether or not they will advance to the conference finals, because their game against the Ravens taking place Saturday, 4.30 Eastern. So, obviously, we're going to be breaking down that game as well and getting some reaction. And I got to say, if the Colts can't be in the playoffs, which obviously they're not, at least it warms my heart to see another AFC South team in the playoffs because we don't often get that in this division, unfortunately. Outkick the morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So on the subject of the Houston Texans, I couldn't have found a more appropriate guest to follow up. Uh, her name is Brooke Bentley. She is a former sports journalist, spent two years working as a media personality for the Houston Texans, and now has a book that just came out this past fall called Sideline Confidential, where she gets into, well, it's a, it's, it's a novel. It's not necessarily based on your life, but I have to imagine there's a little bit of, you know, your own experience woven in through the, the narrative there, um, based on what you went through as a female working in a very male dominated sports industry. So let's just start from the beginning. Um, quickly, I just want to get a reaction, uh, due to the fact that the Houston Texans are in the playoffs and I don't think it's a story anyone really saw or expected to materialize earlier on in the season, but CJ Stroud, the rookie quarterback has just been so phenomenal, Brooke. Oh, C.J. Stroud has turned this team around. This team has been waiting for a franchise quarterback for a long time. And to have C.J. Stroud in a Texans uniform is very exciting for Houston fans. Um, it's been a long road. <laughs> in yes, it has. And, you know, I think the real culture change happened with D'Amico Ryans being hired as head coach. 
he was actually a linebacker when I was working for the Texans. I went to a Pro Bowl with him and helped cover him there. And he was just an outstanding person in general, not only a great player, but he was a real leader of the team. And I, I think he has brought over that mentality of still knowing what it's like to be in the huddle and still having that energy. Um, and he's able to harness that with his players. And it's unbelievable. I mean, the defense played lights out against Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and you saw two pick sixes. I mean, it, it, the energy in that stadium was out of control. So obviously you have a passion for football, a passion for sports, which probably drove you in the direction of wanting to become a sports journalist in the first place. How did you, I guess, land a job in sports first and foremost, and then take it on to being, you know, the face of the Houston Texans for a couple of years? Well, Charlie, I love sports. I remember I watched one of your shows and you were talking about how you played sports growing up yeah. and loved them. And, and I was the exact same way. I played basketball, volleyball, I ran track. I ended up playing volleyball in college at Davidson College, which everyone oh. knows the school where Steph Curry went. Yes, of course. And um, after that, I, I got a scholarship for graduate school and I went to USC, other coast, and I went to journalism school at USC. And I was lucky enough to be there when Pete Carroll was coach, Matt Leiner was quarterback, Reggie Bush was the running back. And I got to host a, a football show, Trojan Timeout. And so I got to interview all these guys that were going on into the NFL. And I had such great experiences doing that, that um, right out of journalism school, I was hired by the Texans. And, and really, Charlie, I was pretty unprepared <laughs> for that job. Oh. And to be in such a powerful sports league, I, I was young. Um, I didn't really know how to manage all those personalities. And as I went into my career working for the Texans, I had an amazing experience, but I also learned it's really hard being a young female trying to navigate that. And, and I sort of would file away different stories about things that happened. And I would also get to know other women who worked for other teams. And it was a small group at that point. We're talking 2008. Yeah. And so, you know, at Pro Bowls or I worked um, a couple Super Bowls for the NFL the other women from other teams would tell me stories. And, and I mean, you know, really a lot of things out of Washington were probably the most shocking. And so I, I filed a lot of those stories away. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. It'll be like the devil wears Prada that said in the NFL. Wow. And I did because I was so busy working. You know, I was working and I had kids and I was working again. And it really wasn't until 2020 where I sat down. I'm like, okay, I need to make this book happen. Life has changed. You know, I'm not out and about as much. And um, I, I'm going to sit down and write this. And I think, too, the news breaking out of Washington really spurred me on. And yeah. so um, I accessed all those stories. Like you said, it's not my story. This is not my memoir. This is not what really happened to me. It's a mix of other women's stories and then some fun fiction. I, I got to add juicy details in there. You got to embellish. Embellish, you know, um, there's a little bit of romance and, you know, you, you got to have um some, some things go down to make it more dramatic. But, um, but as we know, I mean, listen, it's not your story per se, but there are a lot of things that happen while working in sports as a woman. And even I can attest to that. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things you have to kind of learn as you go, like certain situations you find yourself in, you say, okay, wait, how do I navigate in and out of this situation? Not all of them are bad necessarily, uh, but it is, you know, when you're in a male dominated industry, you don't have so many people to turn to, to say, Hey, what do I do if I'm in this scenario? Or what do I do if I'm in this situation? So it's still kind of a, a trial and error type of job, if you will. Completely. And, and I also found being a young female was so much harder because you don't have the instant credibility. I mean, if you've been in the industry for a long time, you've earned your chops. People know, you know what you're doing. 
But as a young female, it's a lot harder and, and you really need a mentor. And I included that in the book because I think yes. having someone who can give you those insights. And I also wanted another woman to uplift this younger woman. It's not like they're pitted against each other. They're helping each other out. Which you do see sometimes. You see both sides, right? You you definitely you see the mentor-mentee relationship. But then there's a lot of situations, unfortunately, still that persist to this day. And yeah. not just in sports. It's it's all over in, in many different industries. But TV is such a cutthroat industry. You see it, I think, probably more here than than elsewhere, uh, where you do have other women trying to tear down the other women. It's a, a high level of competition. Um, just looking back to your own career, I know the book doesn't reflect your career, but what moment sticks out to you the most uh, when you were a sports journalist and trying to maneuver and navigate your way through, you know, what ultimately was, you know, a lot of different interesting situations? You know, I think for me, it was, I reported on a game, college football game, and I was eight and a half months pregnant. And Charlie, I was not a small pregnant person. I was big. <laughs> I just was like huge. Well, you're small and, now, so that's good. Right. But it, it was, you know, I was huffing and puffing going up and down the sidelines. And I remember an official turned to me. I was like, I'm really nervous. I think they're going to run this way. And I don't know that you can get out of the way fast enough. Like you need to move. And so, um, listen, it, I did it after that. I, I didn't do a game for a while, um, but I came back from my maternity leave and I struggled to lose my weight. And a general manager um, of the station just said, I'm really shocked. You're still so big. And that was really hard for me. And it made me realize this is such a harder industry for women for so many reasons. Yeah. One of them is being a mom and having kids, like the physical side, the emotional side. And then the flip side is I had friends. I remember sitting at a hotel bar with a friend who worked for an NFL team. And she's like, I'm in my forties. I think my time has passed. She's like, I have devoted everything to this career. She's like, I don't know that that motherhood is an option for me. And I don't say that I'm regretting it, but I chose my career first. And it's hard. And she said, I feel like in this industry, sometimes you have to make those choices. And that, you know, all those experiences really, really are portrayed in this book. That's so interesting. And have you had, I just as a, a little aside, I was an intern in college in Houston. I worked at oh, the, really? Fox, the Fox station KRIV as an intern um, actually, you know, it was, it wasn't, it was 2009. So I don't know if you were still with the Texans at that point in time, but, um, yeah, really cool experience living down in Houston. Have you had any females who, after reading this book have either found you on social media or found some way to contact you and said, wow, like this is a really cool story. And, you know, whether or not all of it's true or not, it, it definitely kind of helps to shed some insight on what possibly women can experience while working in sports. Yes. Um, there was a columnist for the Houston Chronicle, Jenny Valcrete. She was the first female sports columnist in Houston. And she and I were friends that she ended up moving to Dallas. She worked for the athletic for a bit. And now she's a journalism teacher. And uh, I sent her the book and she sent me an email back. And she said, if you do any book events, I would love to join you. She said, I have to admit, I loved the book, but it also gave me PTSD in some regard. Mm. She covered the NBA more so than the NFL. And she said, I just would think there's, there's a strip club scene in the book. And she's like, I kept thinking about different team officials who would say, Hey, I can do my interview with you off the record, but at the strip club. And she's like, that's a hard note. Um, can we do it in your lobby of your hotel? Like something, you know, some other place I'm not doing it in a strip club, but she's like that scene in particular gave her some PTSD. And we ended up doing this great book event together in Dallas and um, at, a, at a bookstore there. But, um, you know, I've had other women reach out, but that, that one to me was the most significant. She said 
she had to set it down for a second and like regroup and then go back to it. I will also say I've had a lot of men really enjoy it. Th this book isn't like men against women. It's more about toxic culture and just to shed light on how hard it is for females starting in the industry. And just the journey is it's more difficult. Yeah. Um, but John McClain, a longtime reporter, uh, writer in Houston, he's in the NFL Media Hall of Fame in Canada. Oh, I, I, I of course know who John McClain yeah, John is. Yeah. Well, he read it and he loved it. I mean, he texted me right after he read it and said, you know, in his John McClain voice, give me a call. I want to talk about the book. And he tried to sweat because he is like the godfather of NFL media in Houston. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, sure. I really hope this is a good thing. And so yeah, right. I, I called him and he's, and he's like, I loved it. I read it two days. I was going to Nashville and I wanted to write a sequel. And so he and I have done book events together and he's like, all the characters came alive. And he's like, and I love that it wasn't necessarily men against women. It's about shedding light on the culture of teens. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. Just hearing you talk about this, it had me like rummaging through my, you know, memory bank for all the things that I've experienced as a sports journalist from, you know, the very infancy period to up until now. And honestly, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe in the fashion you did where it's more of a, a, a fictional basis. Uh, but I could probably write a book myself just based on purely my own experiences. Uh, and people would be, I'm sure bewildered. Um, but you know, it's, I, I won't say it's what makes the job more exciting. You know, there's a lot of things you experience that you've learned from, right. They're not necessarily the greatest situations you found yourself in, but, but you've learned from them. And I think looking back, I dealt with them as best as I could at the time. But like you said, having someone who could have said, Charlie, you might find yourself in this situation or this situation, or here's how you deal with this or this would have definitely been of a big help to me uh, earlier on in my career. Me too. And, and you know, Charlie, the heroine in this book isn't perfect. I mean, she kind of gets caught up in working for this big team and her moral compass is a little skewed because she's seeing, you know, people going to the strip club and, and things happening that aren't necessarily, you know, people aren't being faithful to their spouses. And so it is, and I experienced that personally. I was like, I, I'm young, I'm in my twenties. And like, this is a world where people have a lot of power and they can throw it around a little bit. And it was hard for me then to like go to my normal life where my parents aren't like that. And, you know, they're like, let's go to church in the morning. And well, you're also uh, in environments yeah. where generally as a woman, you wouldn't be like a, a locker room, for example, you know, like, and people are like, oh, well, you know, are, are people naked in the locker room? Well, it's a locker room. What do you think is going on? It literally is yes. where men are coming, they're showering, they're changing. I mean, it's just places where as a woman, when you're inserting yourself into those environments, you know, it's, it, it's not the easiest to navigate at all times. You know, you do your best, but it's not a place that generally you'd find woman, women who aren't there to do their jobs. Right. And and when you've been doing it forever, when you're into your creamer and you know the business and everyone knows you, it's so different than when you're starting. And so, yes. um, yeah, that's the other part of it that I really wanted to show. Um, so what else is, what else is going on in your world? Because you former sports journalist, uh, you're an author. I know you have a non-for-profit that you're running right now. That's right. My sister and I work with at-risk youth in Houston and we do cooking classes, healthy cooking classes that are after school programs. She really runs all of it. Um, my sister has that background. I came in because I was like, I can help you write grants. I can help you with um, any printed material. That's my background. And I love giving back and I love being connected to the community. And so 
Um, this is something that we did on a small scale that grew immensely during the pandemic. And now, you know, it's grown so much. It's great because I've been able to have a team so that I could focus a little bit on my book and do that and not feel like I was you know, leaving one and for the other. Um, but I, I'm also working on trying to get this made into a movie. And so I've, I've had some interest. Um, people really that would like be, this would be like because when you said the devil wears Prada. Yes. I think if, if it's anything like the Devil Wears Prada, just at least how it's portrayed or how people appreciate the movie or look at it, uh, Devil Wears Prada is one of my favorites. Me too. I love the movie. And that's when that's really where I got this idea to start writing this book. And it's like, you know, Andy and Devil Wears Prada, she's excited to work for this magazine and she's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. She wants to be a journalist, but then she sees the reality of the fashion business. And same with, you know, Blake in Sideline Confidential. She's excited to be a sports journalist. And then she sees what goes down. And she's like, whoa, okay, you know, what do I want? What do I need yeah. to do to achieve my goals and have the career that I want? And actually, it it makes me wonder because, you know, we were just talking about, we both have so many different stories that we remember throughout the courses of our careers. Why did you choose to write a nonfiction novel rather than just doing an autobiography? You know, so many people have asked me that. And I don't know that my life was necessarily juicy enough to like have a, a okay. storyline. And I wrote down sort of short stories of little things that happened, you know, different, a story from the Pro Bowl being there with um, Tony Romo was there with Jessica Simpson. Right. It was like funny stories, but there wasn't necessarily like the compelling character development and storyline that I felt like it really needed. And um, I got to have fun with writing a fiction. Yeah. Book. No, but you know what? That That's fair because I feel like the same. Like I would have like little tiny things here and there that I could plug in as like, oh, this is a interesting incident that a woman might go through working in sports. But you're right. I wouldn't have the same like arc and character development either. It would be just like little tiny snippets here and there. Right. And that's where I felt like I got stuck. And then especially when all the news broke out of Washington and I had friends who'd been at that team. I felt like there was more gravitas to the book mm -hmm. and I, I could incorporate their stories and those things didn't happen to me. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be able to include those as well. Okay, so potential movie deal in the works. We'll find out. Finally, you mentioned possibly there's demand for it, a sequel. Is that something you've already started tossing around in your brain? It is. It's actually, I was on a call about making this into a movie versus TV show and what that would look like. And one thing that they talked about was a sequel to the book. Cause if it's a TV show, it could go on. And like, where does this character go next? Is she like the next Aaron Andrews? And, and, and what does that look like? Is someone oh, yeah. like a peeping Tom? So I have my wheels turning about a sequel now. Well, I'm excited. I know I'm going to grab a copy. So I hope everybody else does too. Sideline Confidential by Miss Brooke Bentley. And uh, I so appreciate your time. And thank you for writing this book because now I'm excited because I feel like I'm going to like get super engrossed in this and like have little flashbacks to, you know, many moons ago, what it feels like at this point. I bet you relate to a lot of it, Charlie. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, and FYI, in case you didn't think Brooke Bentley was already cool as it is, guess who her uncle is? Also with the same last name of Bentley. Country fans, this is your chance to shine. Dirks Bentley is her uncle. Uh, so basically, she's one of the coolest women in the world. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, but now let's get back to football. We've got the divisional round coming up. Eight teams remain. A lot of people uncertain what's going to happen, but 
that doesn't mean that people don't already have their favorites locked in. So my producer Katie and I, we took to the streets right here in New York City to find out who the locals, or even in some cases, the tourists are rooting for in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Okay, obviously I have to talk to the Packers fan. Go Pack, go. Are the Packers gonna win the Super Bowl? The Packers will win the 2023-2024 Super Bowl. Have you been a Packers fan for a while? Because they haven't been in this position for quite some time. Uh, I have not. I am a new fan. You could say in Australia we call that hopping on the bandwagon. Um, yeah, so go Pack, go. <laughs> so are we talking days or weeks? Or, or we'll even throw in months that you've been a Packers fan. Um, probably around two weeks. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Do you even go to this school? No, I just have a lot of feelings. You had to choose who's going to win the Super Bowl. Oh, I don't know about that one. The Cowboys? Should we tell them the Cowboys aren't even in the Super Bowl? What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. So, uh, you know, we're approaching divisional, the, the divisional round. San Francisco all the way. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even get my question out. Well, I'm going with San Francisco. Okay, have you been cheering them on the entire season? Probably not so, more than Buffalo because I'm from New York. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. so you had to be, who, who's your team here in New York? New York Jets, but we suck. Okay, gotta say, my favorite out of all of them, the Packers fan from Australia, who literally just jumped on the bandwagon within the past couple of weeks. And the reason he chose the Packers, because they're Australia's colors. I mean, if that doesn't scream bandwagon fan, I don't know what does, but at least I can appreciate that he would admit it. Okay, guys, that's all we've got. I am ready for some good football this weekend. I am ready for UFC 297, and I am ready for the damn weekend. So everyone, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you've caught all five episodes of Outkick the Morning this week. Fresh episode incoming on Monday. And we are going to have a lot to talk about. But in the meantime, make sure you're following me on social media at Charlie on TV. And until then, have a fantastic Friday. Have a lovely weekend. And I hope to catch you bright and early Monday morning.